We are here with Carlos Alizraki from Rocco's Modern Life, the Taco Bell dog, Bane, uh, the Three Caballeros from the from the DuckTales episode. You were one of those characters. Uh, you've been doing a million yeah. things forever, man. A million things forever, it feels like, yeah. Uh, and in, not in an arduous way, in a, in a fun way. Just, yeah, cool to be part of uh, the voiceover community. Just since the, really, since the, the Rocco pilot was 91. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and uh, I didn't realize how dirty that show was as a kid. Very subversive. <laughs> yes. Parents yeah. don't let your kids watch alone. <laughs> Yeah. And, uh, you know, you've got all these projects going on. You're, you're acting on television. You were in Reno 911. Uh, I ran into yeah. Cedric at, uh, at the ABC, uh, holiday party. Oh, that's so cool. So, uh, my, my ex partner, my wife actually just pulled out the box set of Reno and was re, re, rewatching. And of course, we recently did a marathon, uh, for Comedy Central. We did our bumpers. Right. Uh, it was, uh, Carrie and, uh, Tom and Ben and I, and then, you know, the others uh, were not able to break from their shows, but, uh, yeah, well, you know, hopefully something is, is stirring there. We'll see. Uh, that would be nice, but it's certainly nice to revisit those characters again. Yeah. It, it seems that, I mean, you've had this illustrious career of 25 years and, you know, you, you've done so much, not just with your voice, but like the Taco Bell dog, for example, you know, you had made a joke at, yeah. at the, uh, at the comedy show at Flappers that that show's never saved your, saved your life, or that uh, commercial never saved your life in a terrorist attack or ever hooked you up no. with a chick or anything of that sort. Yeah. No, it did not have those those uh, uh, accompanying magical powers. You know? Right. It uh, did uh, get me some, uh, you know, a house in the valley well, and uh, some merch. And, and it got you a bunch of idiots at San Francisco State University running around going, here, lizard, 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 lizard. Yes, that's a well, I went to San Francisco State, so it was all my idiot friends that were running around doing that. Oh, that, okay. There you, go. you were on the Brotherhood Way there on the 19th Avenue. That's the one. Yeah. Yeah. I, I lived in San Francisco for seven years, and uh, yeah, I visited uh, Park Merced many times, Lake Merced. Yeah. The city is not what it used to be, man. Oh, it is not. It is not. It's yeah. way expensive. It, it's way crazy expensive, and it's got this weird, like, pseudo-liberalism of I care about the people and in the environment so long as I'm not inconvenienced. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so long as I'm not right by him. So, yeah. 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 It, it's gotten this very strange vibe. So you went to Sac State then? Uh, I went to Sacramento State, yes. I did. Yeah. So it, I went it, to Sac I'm sorry, please continue. No, back in the day, that was the uh, old alma mater. <laughs> so, you know, the you have a project working uh, working that you're working on right now, a Kickstarter with Jill Michelle Million. Uh, yes. And both of you kind of refer to yourselves as like white Latinos because you're Argentinian and she's Bolivian. Yes. But neither one of you we really are... speak Spanish that well. Is that the catch? No, you know. Uh... You know, it, it wouldn't really matter because he, this, the, Hispanics are more deemed by looks, you know. Right. Uh, there are plenty of uh, dark, complexed Hispanics, Mexicans, El Salvadorians, Puerto Ricans. I, I have a friend named Wilmer, you know, that they don't speak Spanish. But if you're, if you're light-complected, it's mm. not exactly uh, on the menu du jour for Hispanics in Hollywood. It's right. too complex for them right now, you know. <laughs> but... uh yeah, my parents are from Argentina, you know, I have Italian background, some French, some Jewish, uh, you know, Julie has some Irish background. Right. But, uh, no, actually, voy a estudiar más español con una maestra de mi hija. I'm going to take some more Spanish lessons. I can pronounce things fairly well and get by, but as, as you say in my act, I can't back it up beyond my food order, uh, at, at, uh, I get into trouble. Right. We'll so try. We are white Latinos. We'll try being a six foot three, blonde haired, blue eyed Middle Eastern guy and having people try to figure that out. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. How did that happen? Yeah. yeah. Well, from the Lebanese coast, you know, you're right there on the Mediterranean. All of us, all of us have yeah. this complexion, and they look at us. They're like, "But you don't look like the rest of them." And I was like, "Well, see, they forced us to speak their language, but you know, we're not the same as them." Oh, okay. I don't get it. Yeah, yeah. yeah you'll figure it out. 
you know. You have to do that. It's not for you to get. It's for me right. to be on my way now. Right. You know, the the whole world is heterogeneous. It's nothing is ever homogeneous. Because if we were, we'd all be about a foot and a half tall with fifteen arms and twenty three eyes. I take it, man. <laughs> and a better parking space. Exactly. Yeah. So, t- so tell me about this project that you guys are working on. I know you you launched the Kickstarter. You're about to launch the Kickstarter, and it's an indie film that you guys are doing at this point, correct? Uh, yeah, a little bit of uh, uh, SAG horror feature, comedy horror feature, and it's called uh, the uh, working title. And I think eventually the the real world title is Witness Infection. And actually started off as Mob Zombies. Uh, Logline is a mob boss's son is trying desperately to get out of an arranged marriage. Luckily, his friends in the zombie apocalypse are there to bail him out. It's it's sort of Shaun of the Dead meets Goodfellas, and it's less Zucker Brothers, less Jay Moore Mafia, and more story oriented. With the backdrop of two families in Temecula, California, that have been uh, put together by witness protection screw up and uh, suddenly decide that they want to live the old archaic style of Italian family living where the uh, son, Carlo, doesn't want to participate in that anymore. He just wants to run the dog groomer with his friend Gina and his friend Vince. But I, as his father, say, listen, son, you got to make this right. you got to marry the Miola's daughter, Patricia. And then he's like, what? What is this, Game of Thrones? And then, you know, comedy and horror ensue as, as the town becomes infected. And it has to be right there in the heart of uh, Southern California's wine country. Well, yeah, you know, originally it was, a, it was an Upper East Coast, uh, New York State story, but, right. uh, you know, budget and location determined story, right. and we sort of had this nice, fun twist to it, and we shot up in Lake Elsinore and Temecula, um, and actually have a couple of, two more days of pickup shoots uh, to go, but we have Aaron Hayes from um, now Mental Hospital, or is it, uh, it was Children's Hospital, but it's a sequel. Okay. She was on Kevin Can Wait. She was uh, the wife of Kevin on Kevin Can Wait. Right. And also on Children's Hospital, we have Tara Strong. Of course, everybody knows Tara Strong from her many, you know, Harley Quinn and, right. and Timmy Turner, et cetera, et cetera. We have Maurice LaMarche coming up. We have uh, Monique Coleman from High School Musical. We have Rob Belushi as our star. We have Joe Michelle Melian, myself, right. my friend Vince Don Vito. Uh, we've got, uh, Holly Worrell, we've got Robert Peters, we've got a really, really, really cool cast. Um, and it, it's a weird tapestry of, of scenes that make up the movie. No one, you know, it has such a different look and rich, wonderful look. Our, our director is a guy named Andy Palmer who directed Funhouse Massacre, which has been on, uh, Showtime and Red, Reddit and Redbox, I mean, and, um, also, um, our creature makeup uh, is done by Jim Ojala, uh, who just directed uh, Strange Nature, which is out on uh, at Walmart and also iTunes and such. Uh, but great practical effects we use. We have a great director. Um, Andy just directed a film uh, outside of Funhouse Massacre called um, uh, Camp Colebrook, coming out this year. With a, it'll have a theatrical run. And uh, we got distribution from a company called Petri Entertainment. So we're uh, we're doing an Indiegogo. We're like asking fans to like come join us, help us make the closing costs, put the you know music on this, some color, the final editing, make this. So we got. I, I think we we punched above our weight is what Andy kept saying, and it's got great comedy, it's got great visual effects, uh, practical effects, um, and it kind of it's got some heart to the story. It's, it's kind of fun. I we're we're really proud of it. So how did and the story it's come nice about? To see our, it came about, I've always sort of had this idea that I wanted to mix genres. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, you know, of course, loved Shot of the Dead and so did Jilly. And Jilly and I knew each other for years through stand up comedy. And then more, we started to bond after uh, playing uh, relatives, sister mm-hmm. and brother on Reno 911, and kept in touch. And I, I'd always liked her writing and her structure. And I had this basic idea. And I said, What do you think? And she goes, What about this character? What about this? And what about this? And we just, like, sort of wrote a script two years ago. In about four months, we refined it, had a table read about a year and a half ago. People really dug it. And we said, what about financing? And I said, you know what? Let's go put some money in. My wife and I are going to put some money into this, and we're just going to go for it and, and see what happens. We're going to finance it right now, and we got some extra backing, and we're going to get some more backing, and, we, and we're making it happen. we got a really great crew, great DP, a lot of bang for the buck, 
And I think people are going to dig it. It's a really fun film. Well, it sounds fun. I've never been a big zombie guy. Like, it took my friend three years to get me to read the Walking Dead comics. And then I finally did. Yeah. I was like, this is great. Then I tried watching the show, and I was like, oh, it's just another zombie thing. So, but, yeah, I, I like the concept yeah. of this. Yeah, you know, we didn't rely heavily on because, you know, I love the show Walking Dead. I, I, I was the reverse. I never read the comics to say, but I, I just into that world. And, of course, Shaun of the Dead is, is, right. is amazing. And I've seen a bunch of Dead Snow, Leaderhood and Zombies, Wan of the Dead. Um, I, I do like the genre when it's done right. And there were some that are not so good and rely. There was a, a musical earlier this year, a British musical with kids that was – Really, really, the trailer for it was fantastic. But um, I, I love when I love when a zombie story uh, has a backdrop, or the zombies are the backdrop, where mm -hmm. the story is more important. And right. I really love that about Shaun of the Dead. You know, this hero's journey where he has to prove himself to to his father-in-law, to his mother, to his girlfriend, and finally, you know, see if he can, you know, ditch his his flatmate Nick Frost. Um, you know, so I love that, and that's what we try to do with this movie because right. because of that fact that people are like, I don't want to just see another zombie movie where somebody's arm gets chewed off or blah, blah, blah. We've worked some really fun gags, and seeing, you know, there's parts of the movie that are literally Jackie Brown, uh, Pam Greer exploitation, <laughs> uh, Pulp Fiction, uh, you know, uh, you know, Sopranos, it, it goes in all these different directions, but the story is woven together. So, and yeah, it doesn't rely on just how many zombies can we have? How many ways can we kill them? You really, everything has a purpose, sort of. So it works out. Good. I dig it, man. Now, now I really want to see it. Yeah. I yeah. think people dig it. You know, it's big thing like myself and Tara Strong and Maurice LaMarche, who are mostly known for our voiceover stuff, but obviously we've done all of it. You know, Tara's right. back, background as a sitcom actress in, in Toronto, Moe's background as an, as an actor and a stand-up comedian also from Canada. Right. And, you know, now we just wanted to show that off. It's like, hey, your vo favorite voiceover people are actually really, really cool voiceover, uh, on-camera actors. You know, I, of course, had a little bit more of the uh, recent prominence with Reno 911, but everybody really knocks it out of the park. You right. know? It's really fun. Well, Mo is the guy I'm most jealous of. I got to go to dinner with Mo about a, a couple of years ago. And just the yeah. fact that he's the voice of Lexus and he got a car out of it, just, yeah. I was just like, ugh. Like, I love you, Mo, yeah. and I'm extremely jealous of you. I talked to Courtney Taylor, who's in the Toyota commercials, and she's like, Toyota didn't give me a car. And I was like, well, if you had worked for their luxury line, maybe, but. Yes, exactly. <laughs> or. Stephanie, Stephanie Courtney, who gets progressive auto insurance. Right. I got some free Taco, Taco Bell merch, but that was about it. <laughs> you got a couple of chalupas, and, <laughs> and you were good to go. Yeah. 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 Well, the voice acting thing, a lot of people, I, like, I've started taking classes, and I'd love to do, like, live announcing and even a superhero-like character. Like, I was telling uh, Jeff Johns, who's head of DC Entertainment, that since I'm Lebanese, I would love to be Simon Baz, who's the Lebanese Green Lantern at some point. You know. Yeah, and our, our friend Casey Kasem, right? Yeah, Casey Kasem. Moe's actually, I think, Lebanese and Syrian. Well, I, yeah, I did not know that. Yeah, he was telling me, I think, I, uh, on his mom's side, he was. That's right. So. Yeah, and Moe's just a wonderful. Yeah, it is interesting to <laughs> learn of people's backgrounds and, you know, where they come from. And I, I like the fact that you and Jilly and I share those similar sort of traits where people have to sort of guess who you are and... <laughs> That's what's beautiful about the voiceover world, you know. Right. Everybody's everything. Christian Lands, who's as white as you would think he is, is born from you know Mexico, and right. you know that's where he was born, and speaks perfect Spanish, and yet you know this great announcer voice, and in you know the digital version of Puss and Puss and Boots, and right. you know there's there's all kinds of just amazing talent. Right, and then you look at Phil Lamar, who does a, a million different voices. And yes. then, and then he'll be John Stewart, the Green Lantern, who's a character that's like six feet something tall and just this big burly marine in the comics. And then you look at Phil, and you're like, oh yeah, you were also that kid that was in the A Team or in the Mr. T cartoon. Yeah, he did a you know? Chris Rock in Osmosis Jones the yeah. series, 
And of course, he's famous from Pulp Fiction too. Right. Getting shouted out by Samuel L. Jackson and it well scrapped in a chair. Right. But yeah, Phil's amazing. They're all amazing. Karen Gray, uh, Suzanne Blakesley, Carrie Waldron, Darren Norris, everybody I've ever worked with, Tom and Billy West and right. you know, Jeff Bennett, you could go on and on. Um the whole cast of the loud, loud house. And now I'm on a new show called the Casa Grandes meeting uh all kinds of great actors that I, I haven't gotten a chance to work with before. But that cast is amazing. And working with uh, Amy Carreo on uh, Carreo on um, on Elena Vavalor, you know, it's just it goes on and on. I mean, right. Nicole Brown and Chris Parnell, and I've been lucky, you know, yeah. we're lucky to be in this world. Well, you're good too, so that, I think that plays quite a bit into it. Well, thank you. I yeah. appreciate it. I asked Bob Bergen, who's the voice of Porky Pig, this question, and I have to ask you this question as well. At what point, as a voice actor? Do you ever feel that you're not a fraud and you belong? Because I know so many people that are like, I can't believe I'm so lucky to be doing X, Y, Z in whatever career it is. That you get to play all day and create these characters. And it's like, do you ever feel like I belong? Or it's like, are they ever going to figure out that I shouldn't be here? You know, do you have moments of I belong or, you know, even if it's successful voiceover actor and, and anybody will tell it's just you're still always auditioning and you're still always wanting to get all the jobs right. but yeah you know when you're in a room and, and D. Baker talked about this um, uh, when our during our many uh, uh, Penny Dreadful gatherings you know we bring it we're really good at what we do and I think it was about a good five years into it and even more that you realize, yeah, we're all really great studio musicians that can give you anything you want, you know. Mm. I think it was maybe about season three or four of Fairly Odd Parents, you know, where I really felt like, wow, the, you know, I'm working with Tara and I'm working with Darren North and Suzanne mm. and, and all these people. I felt like I belonged there. Rocco, it took a while, you know. Mm. I was still just breaking in. But, um, yeah, you, you know, I just felt like, yeah, I De- definitely during fairly odd parents. That's when I really felt it. Nice. And how do you let yourself go and just play with the material? Because, you know, a lot of people get into their own head and they just don't allow themselves to fully release. What is your trick to just let it all hang out? I think it's watching other people, it's, mm-hmm. you know, and watching how goofy that they can get. But um, I don't know. You know what it is? It's just visually imagining you're there. You know, uh, I get to play, I was, you know, lucky enough to play Billy Crystal uh, in uh, Kingdom Hearts 3 to play Mike Wazowski. Mm-hmm. And, you know, after doing so many hours of it in merchandise, you know, you didn't you didn't think that, oh, I'm doing Billy doing a character. You just thought, oh, no, I, I know Mike. I know how his lip flaps are. Mm-hmm. I know how he walks. He's got the sh- you know, the shoulders and the big old head. And he's, no, you need to get out of here, son of you. Friend of me, nuts. You know, you just, it took a couple, it takes hours sometimes on a few characters, but, and, and certain directors, Butch was tough, Butch was always tough love, but always fun for Fairly Odd Parents. And I, I think it takes getting used to a cast too. But sometimes you, as you know, you're, you're modularized, you're recording by yourself. Right. So, I don't know. It's just, it's really drawing back into that mind that you're a kid and you're playing with your dolls like the beginning of Toy Story, you know. Well, I'm the kid. I'm coming into town. Hey, yeah, ain't one around here. Oh, shit, let him go. You know, you just, right. you're just imagining you're that person. Right. See, that makes that makes a little more sense in allowing yourself to, to just be free with it. Uh, Carlos, you've been married yeah. for, for a while now, and you have two kids. Congratulations. Thank you. Congratulations. Yeah. Um, Thank you. you know... I think caller ID could have killed so many relationships with voice actors. Like you can't just call her up and prank call her anymore with any of the new voices that you wanted to test out. Yeah. Do you, do you test the voices out on your wife and your kids as well? Or like, how do you develop some of the characters and they'll listen to you and go, Oh dad, that doesn't work. Or, Oh dad, that's funny. Sometimes with my wife, I can't remember any recent auditions, but I'll always play it back for Riley because Riley's doing voiceover. Mm-hmm. Because sometimes she doesn't think she uh, has a grasp of a character or doesn't realize that she has more range than she does. Um, but I don't know, you know. Uh, I do voices for my youngest daughter. I play her little baby Lulu. Lulu sounds like I don't want to go. I want pizza. She loves it. But uh, so in that sense, I'm testing it out on her. But, you know, um, I, I I can't say that it's always a must, but if I'm sure about something, I'll have my wife listen to go. What do you think? Does that sound 
like a you know a jolly baker to you or does that sound like a jaded cop to you mm-hmm. and but it's very rare i kind of trust my own instincts in the office I, and you know i've talked about this with other voiceover actors that or any actors in general you can make a choice and then beat it to death and go no it's not quite right and oftentimes your first take or your first instincts are the best you just mm-hmm. kind of feel it and go yeah i see it i'm going for it right. and sometimes those first instincts are wrong yeah. Does it make it difficult when you have to act to the mic when you're in the booth by yourself versus, say, Reno 911, where it's the ensemble and you can play and ad-lib a little more? Yeah, yeah, uh, that's the most fun, when you're really comfortable with that group of friends where you know that if you cut loose, they'll be right there with you. You know, they get it. Yeah, because yeah. I, I know all the stuff. Because you've worked with, in the DC Universe quite a bit. I mean, you know, you're playing Bane again. In uh, in the yeah. new Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Batman crossover, so congratulations on that. Thank you. That was a lot of fun. Yeah, Eric Bowser's doing the other other ninety seven voices in that. And I think so. He's doing quite a few. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, when you guys get to like that place and you see the cartoons, I don't know if you grew up reading comics or or just you know just watching cartoons by themselves. But what does it feel like to embody whether it's a supervillain or a superhero? And you just get to finally see it on screen that this is something that, you know, someone created 20, 25 years, even 80 years ago with Batman. And to be a part of that legacy now, like you're in that universe, what kind of feeling does that give you? Is it like another job or it's like, oh, my God, I'm part of the Batman universe? Uh, I would think that the latter because I was always sort of a jock and a sports guy and never really into comic books. Mm-hmm. I remember Andrea Romano brought me in on, I think it was... Legion of Doom or uh, Batman Doom, Legion of Doom, I think it's called. And uh, she said, I want you to play this. Is that right? I think it was uh, just, Bat- I just think it was Justice League Doom. That's Justice League Doom, yeah. 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 And she said, you're going to play this character Bane. And I didn't know who it was. And she said, let's do a Latino accent and make him big. And of course, they, they, they doctored it up a little bit, you know. Right. You know, the last time we met, I broke the man. Now I break the bat. And I did it, and then I saw it, and then I saw how much people revered it, and then I was like, oh, wow, Andrea, you brought me into a really cool universe that I really wasn't aware of. Now I'm proud to be Bane. I've done him in Monsters of Mac. I've done him like three or four times before this last project. I'm I'm, I'm proud to be part of uh, the people who get to play Bane, you know, and it's kind of cool. I was like, oh, my God, I'm Bane, and people really like Bane. Right. You know, and Graham Nolan oh, yeah. is one of the, uh, Graham Nolan and Chuck Dixon are the ones that created Bane. And, you know, he was the Latino yeah. villain that, that beat up Batman. And, you know, you're the Latino guy that gets to beat up Batman. Yeah. I throw, uh, I throw him into the grave in, in uh, you know, Legion of Doom. So, uh, it's good. Now, I, I have to ask this because, you know, we're going into these, tum- or we're in these tumultuous times, and I think, with a 24-hour news cycle, we've made things worse than they actually are or should be. And we've done a lot of race-baiting in society where only a certain type of person can play a certain type of character. And I know you've been playing Latino characters, and you happen to be Latino. I hate that phrase, happen to be, but, like, you know, it was like an accident. But, you know, do people sit there and go, Carlos, he's a Latin guy. we got to get Carlos for this character. And at some yeah, point, does that become bothersome? Because you're an are you an actor first before your ethnic identity? Because this is work essentially. You know, I've had it on both sides. I've had advantages because my name is Carlos, and, and because my parents are from Argentina, and I was able to do an Spanish accent because I grew up with it. Mm-hmm. I also grew up with parents in my basement friends from Scotland, so I've been able to parlay that accent. There's a good uh, series coming up for me. It's an NDA thing. Uh, through DreamWorks, I think you'll enjoy it. But um, you know, but then recently I was the voice of Panchita. I voice me Panchito. It's a pleasure to see you, Donald. Right. But then, maybe rightly so, they decided that you know, after a while, let's try to get a Mexican American actor or a Mexican actor to play that role. And unfortunately, that meant that I could no longer do that role, even though I was just imitating the original actor who who created that character and doing a very fine job. So in that sense. Uh, that job went away from me. Unfortunately. Uh, but in other times, I was able to get jobs because my name was Carlos. So 
I've had both the good fortune and sometimes, you know, not the fortune. You know, Jorge Gutierrez was such a champion of myself and Gray and Eric Bowser. We scratched the entire movie of Book of Life, and he and Guillermo del Toro, del Toro practically insisted that we stay in the film against, you know, some other wishes. And so they went to the map for us. So I got to play General Posada, even though I'm not Mexican. So he said, no, because he's my guy, you know. Right. People of San Angel, we need to form this mighty brigade, Maria. And I played the pig, Chewy. Right. And that was all because Jorge uh, was, was, a, was a champion for all of us to, to stay in that movie. So I've gotten some advantages. Ultimately, you build and get roles through relationships. Yeah. But, yeah, sometimes, you know, I get to take advantage of, even though I'm, you know, I'm like, like you, I'm an American. I grew right. up. My dad was British educated. My mom still has her accent. You know, the joke in my accent is my mom could peel wallpaper with an H. Hello. <laughs> um, but, uh-huh. yeah, if you wanted me to be a Latino and I can speak Spanish, you know, I did this um, uh, campaign for direct auto insurance where I played J.J. Hotel. And I did commercials in Spanish because I knew enough to speak Spanish. And, I, I, you know, these guys work with me on pronunciation. So I was able to do spots. Same with the Taco Bell dog. Este nadie no puede ir más rápido. Can't these both go any faster? So there are certain advantages to having that Christian lands, like I say, is can go both American and, and Latino. Eric Bausa, who's Filipino, right. can do, you know, uh, his accents with Puss in Boots. Um, right. So yeah, we we do get advantages from having that background. So. Yeah. Well, you know, to touch on, on Jorge Gutierrez real quick, he is the happiest animator I've ever met in my life, and probably one of the nicest yeah. people as well. And Book of Life yes. was completely underrated. Absolutely underrated, and I like, love Coco. I yeah. really love Coco. I saw it with my daughter on my lap mm-hmm. and bawled my head off. Mm-hmm. Beautiful, but completely kind of entirely different films. And right. yeah, Jorge was the first and his animation style is just so brilliant and that movie for the budget they had yeah was so well done he and doug landale really wrote a really special film and so proud to be a part of that and you know Tigre and pepe the bull i first met george and jose and sandra back then yeah he's He's underrated. He's, yeah. he's just one of those geniuses that he's got his Netflix deal now, and I hope it it blossoms him back to where he belongs. Because yeah, I felt that you know Coco got all the fanfare, and right. rightfully so. But mm-hmm. Book of Life is gorgeous, and anybody who loves yeah. Coco yeah. should really go back and look at Book of Life. They're Absolutely, both separate wonderful films. Well, I looked at you know when Coco came out, I was like, didn't I just see this two years ago? Yeah. Yeah. Some of the like the land beyond the dead was similar. Yeah, all the colors of although Jorge's specific animation style was was is such so amazing. But like I said, both movies are oh my god, they're Uh, they're beautiful. Absolutely, but the fact that Jorge made them look like you know Mexican marionettes. Yes. Yeah. That that just that concept alone blew me away. Yeah, the wood pieces moving together and. Yeah, it, it, it was so brilliant. Yeah. So brilliant. And Ice Cube actually acted happy in a movie for once. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it was just, and uh, he had the Argentinian singer uh, uh, write the song for the bull, and then the uh, "I Love You Too Much" song. I free, I can't remember the guy's name off the top of my head. But when we did no, when we did the press day, the sneak the sneak peek for it, he came and just mm-hmm. played it on gu- acoustic guitar by himself. And everybody just put their cameras down because they were so enamored by him. Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. Is it there? This is the thing about accepting new art and new cultures. And, uh, you know, I wish that El Tigre was super successful for yeah. Nickelodeon. And for yeah. some reason, they didn't want to continue with it. And I love the Casa Grande. But mm-hmm. there again, you know, Jorge was a pioneer. But even before that, more. Uh, Eddie Mort and uh, Michelle Lilly, I want to say, created Mucha Lucha at Warner Brothers, and mm-hmm. both of those were really, really wonderful cartoons, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was lucky enough to be in both of them. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, El Tigre proceeding, you know, really lit the path for a cartoon like the Casa Grande, which is mm-hmm. an excellent cartoon, mm-hmm. or animated series, rather. Now, how do you feel that we can incorporate more of these ethnic characters without race baiting like 
you know how every every movie sits there now and tries to have a strong female lead, but they have to pronounce, I'm a strong woman. And I'm like, well, we see you in the movie yeah. acting strong. We don't need you to pronounce it. So, like, how do we yeah. get around that? It's what I loved about Spider-Man and the Spider-Verse. Mm-hmm. You know, nothing was heavy-handed in that film. Right. They wove the Spanish into that so perfectly. Yeah, yeah. mom speaks Spanish. The dad is African-American, or maybe yeah. he, he is, because his name is Morales, and we don't right. know if that comes from the father, or he kept his mother's maiden name. Right. We're not sure. But there are people named Morales who don't yeah. have an accent, who are of African descent. Right. Um, so I love the way that that was woven in there. And there was such relationship between the characters. And it, it wasn't like, we need a Latino boy character. It's right. like, no, it's, he's Miles Morales from Brooklyn. Yeah. Just who he is. You know, it's, it's awesome. Yeah. And that's the way you do it. That's the way you do it. Everybody needs to learn from that script. You know, yeah. even Black Panther is just kind of a quintal uh, story about uh, obviously you're 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 weaving into the Wakanda into it and about the the power of uh, the African culture that has some sort of has been overlooked, but it, right. it still wasn't too heavy handed. It's just like no, this is where he's from. This is Wakanda. They're rich right. in what it was it by by brain. By brain, yeah. Uh, they're 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 smart. They're mathematical. They're intelligent, and I didn't feel like it was too uh, heavy handed. But uh, of course, that's live action. But right. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's weird for me. And it's like, you know, when I played the Taco Bell Chihuahua, unfortunately there were people that, oh, he's Argentinian. Why is the Chihuahua a dog? They needed a scapegoat. And this right. was pre-9-11. And mm. there were a lot of many Latinos, that Mexican-Americans that had Chihuahuas that had no problem with it. But people right. were looking back then to have something say, well, Carlos is Argentinian. Why is he doing it? And it's like, it, it's just a dog. Right. You know, <laughs> I, it, if it was a Rottweiler, would it have made a difference? It's, right. You know, they're... You know, it's fine. Sometimes stereotypes are fun because they exist. Right. Uh, Argentinians are quintessentially, you know, there There used to be a joke about why Argentinians go outside during a hailstorm because God is taking their picture. <laughs> you know, Argentina, because Chayan, they most beautiful. And, and for people from Spain, I am from Spain, you are right. no need compared to me. Right. Those can be fun, you know, mm. and we, we need to learn to play and have a sense of humor about everything and... I think that, you know, I'm always trying to think of how I can write or create a character that is light-skinned Latin American. Um, Jorge had this cartoon, I'm forgetting the name, and it was about a girl who is in a a private school with a chancellor who's from Argentina, and it was all about her misdeeds and trying to, and I think they were afraid that she wasn't a hero character. She kind of was. She just gets into trouble, but in a good way, you know, and it was... It was too bad because it really was afraid of what truth is. It's just art. It's art imitating life. This is what it's okay for us to be not perfect. We, like you say, we don't always have to announce that we're the hero. Right. In subtle ways, I just got into this too about Sarah Silverman. Mm-hmm. Not that she needed anybody to enter into the tweet thread, but Megan Kelly calling Sarah Silverman out for being a blue comedian and then Disney hiring her to be Vanellope. It's like, you're allowed to be two separate people. Right. We all thought Bill Cosby was clean, you know? So we thought Bill Cosby was America's dad. (laughs) And so we're allowed to be adults. Voiceover actors cuss during sessions. Mm -hmm. Hello, we're adults, but we don't, it doesn't enter into the final product. We're allowed to be adults and also play characters that children revere. We're two different things. I've squared around my kids. Do I love it? No, it happened. It doesn't make us less than, you know, it's so, everybody is running to jump on every, we all have to pass a purity test now. Are you the right ethnicity? Did you say the right words? Are you acting the right way? Did you offend anybody? It's like, Oh my gosh. And it's, guys. And it's coming from both sides party. of the spectrum. It's not only coming yes. from one side, it's coming from both sides. Like, because as I told you, you know, my family's from the Middle East and I'll say something about Middle Eastern people. And I'm like, what gives you the right to say this, 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 and this, you know, you're white. And I was like, yeah, but I'm from the Middle East. Oh, but yeah. you don't look. And I'm like, so you just put me in a racist stereotype when you claimed that I was the racist. What the hell yeah. are you doing? You know? Yeah. And we're so ready to do that. As, as, right. as you say, social media to some extent has put a clamp on things and we're so ready to attack. And, but then again, you know, you know, maybe we, it also enlightens us and we yeah. learn some lessons, but 
sometimes it can go too too far. And right. you know, I never got a complaint that I wasn't actually an Australian playing the Rocco. <laughs> I never got a complaint when I played my raw Scottish pondog that I knew wasn't Scottish. Right. Nobody really complained. It's because it's a cartoon. You know, Tom Kenny, you know, during the Chihuahua right. stuff when people were so angry, Tom Kenny so rightfully says, you know, well, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a Romanian and Count Chocula Sirio is offensive to all Romanians. <laughs> no, it's, it's a, it's a character. Right. We're just having fun. I get it. You want authenticity. There's room for both. Right. I, I was talking about this, you know, on, as we segue into politics about <laughs> Trump's speech about you know, the Green New Deal, they're coming to make you take a train. and tra- Oh, you'll have to take a train to California. I'm like, dude, I guarantee nobody at your rally has ever had the luxury that I have had. And please, you do, because you've got money. They've never been able to go to Japan and take the Shinkansen bullet train from Kyoto to Tokyo, 318 miles, 138 minutes, fast, super clean, awesome. If they did, you know, you wouldn't complain about it. You'd go, oh, my God, why don't we have this? Right. You know, I'm sorry I segued into that. But, oh, no, it's okay. Um, well, I'll tell you this much, um, you know, I, I have, like, I love professional wrestling, okay? And yeah, so, yeah. I'm sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. Oh, and I know his shtick. So I know when he's being President Trump and when he's emulating classy Freddie Blassie. In some of his yes. rally speeches. So, because yes. don't forget, he's a WWE Hall of Famer and he's friends with Vince yes. McMahon. So I know yes. when the wrestling shit comes out and I know when President Trump comes out. So yes. when people get really upset about his wrestling stick, I was like, didn't you make fun of me growing up for loving pro wrestling and saying I was stupid for falling for all this stuff? And look what you're falling for now. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Nerds <laughs> are the ones that get it. It's like, hey, we're used to it. Why can't you guys see this? Right. Yeah. yeah. That, that is a, it's a great point. It's a fair point. Because, you know, he's uh, being the president when he softens his voice and speaks in full, complete, coherent sentences. I was like, that's him being legit and the president. Yes. Or, or trying. <laughs> right. Being presidential, right. we'll say. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, yeah, we... Because it's so volatile, because I think we have somebody like that, um, it is making art so volatile and so careful. But like I said, there's some wonderful work going on and wonderful am- animation coming our way. And, and you know, to any artist, if, if uh, again, the roles I lost, if, if there's roles that I've lost, then you know what? There's roles that I need to create. I need to write. I need to pitch like everybody else and say, like Seth MacFarlane did. I want to play these characters, you know, right. um, and, and I want to introduce them to the world. So we, we, we have the onus of our work is, is on us at times. And I'm lucky enough to get to audition for a bunch of things. I don't always get them, right. you know, and it's a, it's a challenge. But I so revere now the time in the booth. I, I just had a really great session of the Casa Grande the other day. And, mm. I look around me sometimes. When I, and again, when I was on Fairly Odd Parents, I'd look around and watch Darren Norris and, and, and Tara and Kari Walgren, who came in later, Jeff Bennett and Suzanne Blakesley. Just It was a symphony. These guys were amazing. And I'm like, I get to sit here and watch this. This is awesome. You know? Yeah. And that was my first lesson with Charlie Adler on Rocco. You know, I was so nervous and in over my head. And both Tom Kenny and I talk about how amazing Charlie Adler is and right. was and still is. You know, he was amazing. So. Well, well, you guys made a Rocco movie, didn't you? That we'll never get to see. I, I hope so. You know, we, we nobody knows what's <laughs> going to happen to it. Static thing. It came out around 2016. Recorded. We saw the premiere as a crew in 2017, uh, and I was hoping it would come out in 2018. But it, it's there. The same with Invader Zim. They're not mm-hmm. really sure what they're doing with these projects. Uh, perhaps waiting for a Hulu type of buyout uh, to 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 create to find their audience because Nickelodeon is is uh, you know trying to discover itself and rebrand itself you know um, obviously SpongeBob is their their flagship right. but you know even with Butch I always felt that Butch was sort of I mean fairly odd parents solid and he never really got that solid 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 commitment right and um, but they're easier to try to figure it out. And um, uh, we'll, we'll see what happens. It's a really good special, and 
I, I hope people get to see it in some fashion. I think they'll really dig it, especially the fans of the first couple of seasons. Right. Really, uh, really has a lot of subversive stuff in it that's fun. Well, I think Nickelodeon's animation golden age was Rocco's Modern Life, Ah, Real Monsters, Doug, um, you know, Hey Arnold. Ren and Stimpy. Ren and, Stim- Ren and Stimpy terrified me. I'm not going to lie to you. Oh, Ren and Stimpy yeah. terrified me. <laughs> so good. I was in high school watching this. I was like, I, I don't get it, and I kind of don't want to get it. Leave me alone. Leave me alone. Leave me alone. <laughs> right. I'm like, I'm going to wrestling yeah. practice. I'll see you guys later. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I I have to ask you this as an artist and as a creator, and you're making your own movie, you know, as well as voicing and everything else. Art often imitates life, and in other aspects, shapes society. How does mm-hmm. art go back to that in a culture that is so ready to be professionally offended at everything? And when does art stand up and finally say, "Look, this is a reflection on real life, and this is where we want real life to go." Like, when do we get back to that point with art? You know, I'd hate to say that when, quote-unquote, the balance of power evens out, because you'll never get that. Right. But it is good to see that Latino directors are being recognized. Women are getting recognized. We need more women directors. We all know that. We need mm-hmm. more films uh, from the black culture. I'd, I'd love to see I'd love to see a Palestinian film come out, mm-hmm. you know? I'd love to see a story about them that isn't just about Gaza, you know. Right. I've seen a few documentaries here and there, but I'd love to see a story from there. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we, we know, you know, Swedish culture, every culture, but I guess that that is the dream that when everything, like I said, is quote-unquote balanced out, art can start uh, pushing back. But mm-hmm. to some extent, we already have. Um, you know, Speechless is a show that was mm-hmm. overdue, you know, yeah. and Cedric's on that. Uh, the Goldbergs, you know. Yeah. Here's a guy whose family just happens to be Jewish, but he's like, I'm crazy. My family's crazy. I made all these films as a kid. But here's my stories. I hope you like them. You know, and so we're getting there. We're getting yeah. there. And to some extent, as a stand-up, you do that. Mm-hmm. And you risk uh, being called out for your stand-up. But you know what? You just go for it, you know. And to that extent, Sarah Silverman is strong, you know. Right. Uh, she she does who she does, mm-hmm. you know. Um so I think there's 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 elements and, and again I you know keep going back to it but Spider Man is awesome that movie right. I don't care that's the best film animated otherwise that I've seen this year I mean they just get it right they just told a great story and integrated all these wonderful things and that was that that's an example of art just going I'm making the movie I want yeah probably they got studio notes and they would say well you know there's a couple things we had to cut and blah blah blah. <laughs> but with so much money on the line, it's tough, right? right. You yeah. know, it's almost like when will pure politics and a, and a far left progressive candidate win the president of the United States? Well, when you get rid of Citizens United, <laughs> you know, you know, Bernie got close and, and maybe there's a movement again with an Elizabeth Warren where the left just embraces a populist candidate and says, you know what, we're not going to the center, we're going for it. You see that with the House of Representatives, you know, the Green New Deal. I've read it. Not all things are possible in 10 years. Uh, But, hey, why not go for it? You know, why not go for it and push push the boundaries a little bit? And and so I think we're starting to do that again with art. We're starting to push the boundaries again a little bit and risk criticism, risk offending people, you know. Right. And now the inverse. What about conservative art? Is there room for that for people that have a conservative view in society? Not necessarily like hardcore, you know, anti-immigration, you know, like the extremists, because this country is built on immigrants. And I know people that like are anti-illegal immigration, but not legal immigration and have been lumped in with the far extremists. But like, you know, do they have a place in art as well? Because it seems like their voices are being stifled at times. Yeah, you know, gosh, you could start with what? The tearing out of Confederate statues. And I can see that because from the the, the pain they've caused. And part of it is like it won't erase what happened. Mm -hmm. And it might make a few people happy. But you can't deny that's an ugly part of our history. But the other side of me is like, you know, if you're arguing against statues being torn down, it's like, you know what? When you were a kid, you slept in a race car bed. And then you grew up, and now you're 50 years old, and you come back home, and mom still has your race car bed in your room. Right. And I feel like Bill Mark. You know what? 
it's time to get rid of the race car bed, and, which are the Confederate statues. It's time to get rid of the race car bed and sleep in an adult bed. We need to let those go. We need to go into adulthood now. So there's both sides of it. But to some extent, if you're including religion into there are faith-based movies that are, are getting their own platform, some of them are heavy-handed and some are, some are not. So there is a platform for that. You know, um, there are some documentaries about some ugly subjects that get made. Um, and I, I don't know, you know, I, I don't mind it. You know, should there be a doc- – somebody was talking about that uh, the other day, and, and it was a John Fugel saying site about – somebody was complaining that – oh, no, it was Ben Shapiro that was saying, oh, there was no documentary. There's documentaries about this person and that person. Like, wait, there's been a documentary on Roger Stone. There's been a do- documentary on Trump. You know, maybe not in a favorable light, but those characters have been, or those people have been depicted in movies. But, um, yeah, and and my thing is, as long as it's it's a story about, the problem with art or comedy, especially from the conservative side, is that it's bereft of truth. And that's why it doesn't resonate. You know, you can't, I know Fox News has tried to have a comedy channel. You can't have the conservative equivalent to me of SNL because it lacks the truth mm. that makes it funny. You're making facts up. And so your comedy has less weight is my opinion. Mm. But sometimes it can be done. It can be done quite well. And, and for liberals, we need to be able to laugh at ourselves. Right. You know, obviously there are certain uh, spiritualities, let's just say that to take themselves more seriously than others. And some that, you know, I don't know if you can make life of Brian again. Mm-hmm. You certainly couldn't make it with certain other religions, you know, right. but I miss that. I miss right. that, that we can't poke fun at each other, that we're offended at every little thing. It's like, right. and to me, it's like the, the, the source material I'm a big Joseph Campbell guy, Christopher mm-hmm. Hitchens guy myself, and I grew up Episcopalian, and I, mm-hmm. I got communicated in the church. It's like, it's just, it's, it's, it's really good mythology, which can inform, has the ability to inform people on values. Mm-hmm. But it's only mythology. It's not as if we can't, as Joseph Campbell says, change the software and learn from our morality from other sources. That was great 2,000 years ago. But we got to update it now because we know more. You know, no magical beings came from here. No magical. This didn't happen. There was no great floods. Nobody riding horses to heaven or hell, and all these things that people wrote about. They were trying to interpret the world where they and they didn't travel really far outside of the world. They didn't go to Greenland. They didn't go to the Amazon jungle. They they were just writing about their neighborhood, basically. You know, so that you know. To me, that's why you should be able to make light of these things, like Life of Brian. You know, it's all—it's all good. We're, we can laugh at ourselves. You know, spirituality shouldn't be taken so seriously, but or religion. It unfortunately sometimes it is. You know, um, I I think you know it, it, it'll help people embrace it more if if you go, wow, those people. You know, the Mormons are, are a perfect example. Uh, somebody was saying this that. You made a, a you know Book of Mormon, and inside the pamphlets for Book of Mormon in the theater were you know advertisements for the Mormon Church. They embraced it. They're like, yeah, go ahead and make fun of us. Mm-hmm. You know, we love it here. Join our church. You know. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I grew so, up I grew up Greek Orthodox, and uh-huh. with us, we're like, well, whatever you say doesn't matter because we've been persecuted for so long under certain religions that uh, you know we we know about in the region. And paganism yeah. and whatever else that like when people are like Christians are persecuted in America, I'm like, yeah, we'll show you other parts of the world where we're really persecuted. So go ahead and talk. We don't mind you talking that. Yeah. And should anybody <clears throat> be persecuted? Nobody should be persecuted for their beliefs in, in both ways. Mm-hmm. If you're not someone who believes in those things, you should not be deemed less immoral mm-hmm. or, uh, you know, you're, you know, and that that's the other side of it. But right. I like the fact that artists there uh, there's a, a Muslim re- Reformation. You know, now there mm-hmm. there are people that are trying to update or a Christian Reformation. They're they're not. You know, everybody is trying to come together with what Joseph Campbell said and said. How can we update? You know, Judaism and Islam and Christianity and Buddhism. How can we update it to what we know now? and make it better, more accepting. You know, because my big thing is coexist is is great in theory, but 
gosh, if you really wanted to coexist, wouldn't you, wouldn't you just have one building where everybody goes, you know? And one week you have an imam. The next week you have a Greek Orthodox priest. And the next week you have a rabbi. And the next week you have a Buddhist. And it's all in the same building because you want to coexist. But you really don't. You know, I want to coexist, but I want to go to mine and you go to yours. I think I think it's more tolerance than coexisting. Yeah, or I want to marry mine and you marry yours because we want to make more of us and you want to make more of you. And that is almost coexisting. But there are dual families. You know, there are Christians that marry Muslims and Jews who marry, you know, Buddhists. And I, that, 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 there, are, there are examples of where families can have... Uh, Christmas and Hanukkah and, you know, Ramadan. And I, I like that. I, I, I think that's where we, we should be headed, you know, celebrate everything. Hey, another holiday? I'll take it. You know, yeah. you know and it, that's what's cool about living in L.A. where we're so or, – or a city or New York or we get exposed to all of it. We, we have – more of an advantage, you know, rural communities are more at a disadvantage because they are so separate, you know. <laughs> it's one of the things I liked about Life of Pi, you know. Right. The kid in the movie, you know, he loves certain parts of Islam and Judaism and Christianity and embraces sort of all of it to define what he thinks is God, you know. Right. And, you know, I, I like that about it. It's a very, it's a very kind of uh, open, uh, talk about a piece of art that I, I really identified with. He's like, yeah, there's good, there's good, there's good parts about all of those things, mm-hmm. and there's some really weird parts about all of those things, and are we allowed to make fun of the weird parts, you know, and maybe update them and make them better? Yeah. That's the thing where I get, like, either art or these things to some people are written in stone. Right. It needs to be this way. It's like, no, no, we know more now. We could, we could update it. Well, and, God, God has a sense of humor because he created all of us. Yes, so. <laughs> and absolutely, we're all fallible. We all make mistakes. Um, but yeah, I, you know, I have, uh, you know, friends that. You know, let's see, our whiskey group is. We have a um, a Jewish Scientologist. We have a Buddha, uh, a Hindu. We have an agnostic. We have I've, at a time we had a born again Christian. We have my friend Vince, who's a uh, Catholic, and all we know is that we like to talk and drink whiskey, and so. <laughs> Regardless of our backgrounds, you know, we can have conversations. We can we can push each other's buttons. Right. That's what it's about, you know. And, and art should be that too. Art mm-hmm. should push your buttons a little bit, but not be censored. Right. You know. Um, well, you got to let me know, you know when you guys do a whiskey night because I can bring a couple of people with me oh, too. So. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. You know, there's. I know we, we spin off into different things, but no, that's okay. Who. This is what informs me as a quote-unquote artist. This is what informs other artists. And, you know, Tara's been very political, and uh, Sarah Silverman is very political. Jimmy Kimmel is very political and very social. And, you know, I miss that. I miss John Lennon's of the world. That's what we're missing. You know, why, why isn't Bono front and center like Lennon was? You know, to really call it out, like, Trump is a bastard. You know, he's a, he's a wine cutter, and people, he's, he's an evil man that nobody should listen to. I miss having an artist like that mm. really is a, you know, out front saying, you know, this guy is wrong. Right. But we're so, I, I miss that. I miss the sixties. I miss, but it, in, in some respects, the artists have pushed back, you know, look at, look at, like we say, the development of women filmmakers and we need more and more directors and, and black filmmakers and uh, Muslim and Jewish filmmakers. It's, it's all coming out because of the other side, because the other side has gotten so conservative. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's a great result. Right. You know, artists of all colors are starting to band together against quote-unquote hate, you know? What, so. what I really miss is that a difference of opinion didn't need, yeah. lead to just angry, name-calling, you know, just uh, buzzwords. Yeah, we, Twitter is not true discourse, and I've been a victim of that. I get sucked into it, and I want I want to pretend that you know the, the next few words that I type will make me win this argument, and you really don't because you've been ignoring your family. You know, right. it makes you feel it really has an opioid effect. You really get addicted to it, and when I find myself in true discourse, I learn a lot more. I learned that I was wrong about certain things. Mm. And I have to say that my Catholic friend Vince 
more so than my liberal agnostic friends with, is more the guy that will pick me up at LAX on a Friday at 5.30 p.m. Mm-hmm. Vince is the guy that's going to be there, the guy that I might disagree with on Catholicism or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so so you, you learn that. It's, I, I, that's my problem. I, I, I always tell other people that, you know, you shouldn't be informed by those things. Or like, well, guess what? They are. And it makes them happy. So shut up. You know? <laughs> right. Well, like, I could disagree you with you politically. Like you, you know? Right. But, I mean, you yeah. and I could disagree politically on nine out of yeah. ten things. It doesn't mean I'm not going to like you as a person. You're a father. You're a family man. You're taking care of your kids. You know, you're yeah. not subjecting them to abuse. You know, like like certain aspects of Hollywood that that have been swept under the rug. So just because I disagree with you on a political issue doesn't mean that I can't like you yeah. as a person. And that's the part that's driving me nuts more than anything. Yeah, and, and you might be afraid to bring up those issues, but I, I assure you, in our whiskey group, <laughs> we can handle it. And and that is it's it's a throwback to the old right. public house, right? Yeah. We, we literally get together, we taste whiskey, we walk over, we're all dads, we're all boring. So we get into it and we talk right. and we sometimes don't disagree. And, um, I like it. Mm-hmm. I, I no, it sounds fun. Talking and, you know, we've done that in voiceover. There are a few voiceover actors out there that are more conservative than I am. And, uh, you know, we might get a little heated, but that's okay. Cause at the end of the day, I know they're good people. They right. just, you know, we're, we're all trying to figure it out. Yeah. We're all trying to figure out. How do we play with morality? How do we mm-hmm. not offend somebody? But I wish we were more thick-skinned, mm-hmm. you know. Right. Um, um, it's so funny. I just like Kellyanne Conway was saying, oh, Beto O'Rourke, it's interesting that a loser would try to launch it. You know, and that's just mean. Right. And, you know, Beto is like, I don't care what you say. I'm running. Say mm-hmm. what you want to say. Yeah. <laughs> that's fine. <laughs> you know, some things are, are mean-spirited, and that's just going to happen. But we're right. adults. We can yeah. take it. But you try not to be. You try to have a criticism that is based on something that is sort of real, not just petty. You know? Right. Yeah, and, and the petty thing is the part that drives me nuts. Because even if you disagree, at least you could still be civil to each other. Yeah. And there might be moments of incivility, but who, who cares? You know, right. you calm down and you relax and you go, yeah, I'm sorry, I got a little heated. Yeah, that's fine. Pour, pour me another bourbon. Right. <laughs> I have a buddy that is far left and in no way wants any type of a centrist candidate and feels that the Bidens are equal to the Trumps and yada, 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 yada. And we go at it. But at the end of the day, I know we both enjoy our bourbon, and mm. that's where we can agree. You know. And what's and your bourbon of choice? My bourbon of choice is my neighbor's bourbon, uh, Shane uh, Taylor. It's called Peerless. Mm-hmm. It's a really uh, great, uh, it's a new distillery, that, an old distillery that reopened recently. Uh, I love uh, Buffalo Trace if I want to go a little bit less expensive. Um, High West is not bad, High West Campfire, because it's uh, it's a little teeny cousin to what my favorite whiskey of all time, which is LaFroy 10 or Kelly La 12. I'm a smoky peaty guy mm-hmm. in terms of scotch, but I like those bourbons. And Woodford, you can't go wrong. Woodford Reserve, Knock Creek, all that stuff is good. See, you got some so, good taste. Well, thank you. What's your yeah. what's your bourbon choice? Uh, I love Woodford Reserve. I love. Uh, there's one out of Wisconsin that was really good, and the name is escaping me right now. But uh, the brand it's uh, Limousine Rye, and it's by Sutton yeah. Goat. And I can't remember off yeah. the top of my head, but these guys had some of the best whiskey at Whiskey X. That we were blown away that a Wisconsin whiskey was that good. I like it. I'm going to have yeah, to try it. Yeah. And then, uh, you yeah. know, George Diggles has got, got some good Tennessee whiskey as well. Uh-huh. So, you know, there, there's stuff out there that, that's worth enjoying. Well, this is good to know. See, we can come through the, the thicket of art and religion and politics and go, wait a minute, hold on. Let's end this by talking about <laughs> good whiskeys and bourbon. Uh, our favorite whiskey, bourbon, and cigar pairings. We can actually do something with that. <laughs> yeah. Although, you know, being a voice actor, that's more difficult since you have to retain your voice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you must learn to drink at certain times. <laughs> well, that and like, like uh, some voice actors actually smoke to this day, and I know um, what's it called? Mel Blanc smoked to till the end, and 
you know, how how are they still able to perform at that level with their voice constantly being affected by all that? I don't know. Um, he was, you know, so leathered. His voice was so leathered by then that I, I don't think it affected him, you know? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's, that's probably how he got away with it. Right. Just like a, a leathered throat. Yeah, definitely worked for Captain Caveman for him. Yeah. Yeah. Carlos, uh, I love talking to you. I love that we got to know you on more of an intimate level than just, you know, hey, who inspired you and, you know, what uh, what type of mics do you use and all that stuff. Because that stuff gets boring and they can find that anywhere. But to find yeah, Carlos, where can we find you? We can find me at uh, Carlos Ellis Rocky Twitter. That's where I get a little bit more political. My Instagram is purely voiceover for voiceover fans and news there. Uh, our Indiegogo for Witness Infection will be launching soon, but uh, you'll get all all the information on my social media, Facebook, the Carlos Ellis Rocky, um, and all announcements will be there. Uh, March 24th, I think I'm at the Sportsman's Lodge doing a comedy show, but again, all those shows will be posted on my social media. And uh, July 4th weekend, I'll be at Flappers in Burbank headlining four shows on, on Friday and Saturday. And, you know, look for the Casa Grandes to come out. Look for a really cool project to come out from DreamWorks. Tell you more about that later. You can find me at LAFC football uh, soccer games this year because I'm a season ticket holder. So I thank you, California Stadium. I'll be there. Come look for me at halftime by the Beer Gardens. Um, but I, I really appreciate it. I really appreciate that uh, voiceover actors are revered and we have, we have a great community. And, uh, yeah. I look forward to being a part of more. Well, uh, I'm glad that I finally got to meet you after all this time because I've met Jill a few times through a, a mutual friend, and you know I've always been a fan of your work. You know, you, you're still killing it after all this time, whether it's on television or behind the mic. Um, any last words that you want to say? Anything to anybody about anything? You know what? Just keep going. Sometimes it looks like you won't make it, but it, the thousand mile journey begins with one step and a doggy ball. Awesome, man. Thank you so much, Carlos, and have a great afternoon. All right. Thank you. All right. You got it.